0: And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator,
1: Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 354. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. I'm excited to bring to you today's guest, Marco Santarelli. Now, with over 350 episodes, we've interviewed tons of great guests on the show, and a few of those have been exceptional. In that cohort, I like to reach back out to those guests, re-invite them on the podcast, and follow up with them. That's just what we're doing today with Marco. Marco first appeared on the podcast back in early 2017, I believe, in episode 75. A little bit about Marco. He's an investor author, and founder of Narada Real Estate Investments, a national real estate investment firm offering turnkey investment property in growth markets nationwide. Marco, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Jacob.
2: Thank you so much for having me back on. And once again, congratulations and kudos to you for sticking it out this long with your podcast. Most people don't even go past seven episodes. This is amazing.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that. It's with great guests like you, I can do that you know, starting out, the podcast probably was not as good as it now is. And I hope it gets better each and every episode. So yeah, thanks for that.
2: Awesome. Well, good to be back on.
1: Well, hey, I wanted to reach back out to you, Marco, and just kind of touch base, see where you're at these days. I know you're doing lots of investing across the US. And I just wanted to kind of touch base with you. But before we get into all that, can you just kind of recap who you are, what you do, and what you do in the world of real estate investing?
2: Sure. Well, again, my name is Marco Santorelli. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Norada Real Estate Investments. And we are a nationwide provider of turnkey rental properties. So we basically just help people build their real estate portfolios as passively as possible and provide them all the tools, knowledge, resources, and properties that they need to do and achieve that so they can achieve financial freedom or independence if that's what they really want. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I run multiple businesses. I enjoy teaching people and talking about real estate, anything, you know, finance, the economy. You know, whatever it is that relates to money, because to me, money is a game. And if you learn the rules of the game, you can certainly, uh, you know, achieve some phenomenal things.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Let's jump into that, Marco. Money is a game. Sometimes people think money is a little bit of a taboo topic, and it is to a lot of people, and they don't want to talk about that game or play that game. Now, with you and Narada Real Estate Investments, your uh, customers and clients are in that game of improving their net worth and building that financial freedom for themselves, investing in turnkey property. So tell us about just that overall. About the real
2: estate side of it? Sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, long ago, back in 2003, I got back into real estate investing, but I decided to go full time. And come 2004, I was just buying a lot of property very quickly. Actually, I bought 84 units, like 84 doors total from single families up to very small apartments in a nine month period. So that was a lot of units to purchase in a nine month period. And I had investors coming to me saying, hey, Marco, can you mentor me, coach me? Can you help me out? And my answer was always, sorry, I just don't have the time. And I literally didn't. But I saw a lot of property and deal flow. And that's when I realized that people needed help. People love the idea of investing in real estate. They took the time and spent the money to educate themselves. And this is still true for people today. They listen to your podcast, they educate themselves, they read books, but then they don't pull the trigger. And for whatever reason, they just don't move forward. Sometimes it's fear. In fact, a lot of times it's fear. Sometimes it's just friends and family talking them out of it, just saying, Hey, you know, that's risky. Or why do you want to get a call two in the morning to fix a toilet? Or, you know, why don't you just invest in your 401k or your mutual fund, which is like stupid, you know, advice. <laughs> so, you know, I just decided, look, let's educate the world. Let's just help a million people achieve financial freedom Through real estate, so they can create wealth, so they can get passive income. And it's not that hard to do. It's just people need to be educated and awoken to the fact that, yeah, anybody can do this. You know, if you've got credit and cash, you can invest.
1: Yeah, I like how you uh, said it's uh, something anybody can do because one of the excuses many people have is I live in an expensive market. You're no stranger to that, right? You live in Southern California and you've actually found a model that works for you by investing in more advantageous markets across the country. Tell us how you came to that kind of a path.
2: Yeah, this is actually a lesson for your audience. You know, I live here in Orange County, California, very, very expensive market. You know, the median home price here is, actually I've lost track. It's probably eight eight to $900,000, Wow! right? And, you know, an eight or $900,000 property is only going to rent for about 35, maybe $4,000 a month. It's a very low number. You know, as a ratio, which is something I look at, it's about 0.5 percent, maybe 0.4 percent. So you take your monthly rental income, call it 4,000, divided into the purchase price, 8,000. That's 0.5 percent. That's very low. What we'd like to see is 0.8 and above, ideally closer to one. Right. Right. Some people refer to that as the one percent rule. Now that doesn't work all the time in every market, so it's just a loose guideline. Sure. But think of it as the smell test. You know, if you're in Southern California. and you've got a 0.4 rent to value or rent to price ratio. That tells you right away the numbers are not going to work. This the cash on cash won't work. So I was in a situation where I didn't have a choice, but I had to look out of state. I looked at your market, Houston, and uh, it's a great market still to this day has been for many many years. Now the regions within the Houston metro has shifted, like you know the woodlands up north and you know other places where you've right. got a path of progress. But the problem I had is I couldn't invest locally. I did in the very beginning in 1999. By 2003, that was over. The party was over. The ship sailed. And now I was looking at other markets like uh, Southwest Florida. I was looking at Detroit. I was looking at Atlanta, Georgia, which was a great market back then and still is to this day, but there's no inventory. So the lesson to be learned from all this is that you need to remain market agnostic. Do not marry yourself to your local market because odds are you're probably in a market that doesn't make sense financially or even fundamentally. So you need to look at other markets to get the best returns on your invested dollar in terms of short-term gains like your cash on cash as well as your long-term gains which is that potential future appreciation. So you can't necessarily invest locally.
1: Yeah, so Marco if somebody's thinking okay, yeah, that makes sense Marco, my market doesn't make sense. I'm going to invest out of state or across the country. But that opens up the question of where now if you know I can invest anywhere, where do I even start? How do you cross that bridge?
2: So the 50,000 foot answer to that question is basically this. You need to look at markets that are affordable and have inventory, you know, a good mix of supply and demand, but has affordability and the numbers work, they pencil out. So generally speaking, you're going to find those markets in flyover country, which is predominantly the Midwest, the South, which includes Texas, the Southeast, including Florida and pockets of the North and Northeast, not necessarily all of them. What you will find is that a lot of the coastal markets don't have the ability to provide the rates of returns that investors need or want. Also, many of the coastal markets, because they've been so inflated, so overpriced, they actually carry more downside risk than they do upside potential. So, you know, an extreme example of that is San Francisco. I wouldn't want to be going into San Jose or San Francisco today as a quote unquote investor, you know, meaning a speculator, because Those markets have been so frothy, they've, so they've run up so much for so long and affordability is so low that the probability of property values coming down is probably greater than property values going up. And I'm not suggesting that you speculate and invest solely for appreciation. You need the cash flow to keep your deal together. But those markets are overpriced and many parts of San Francisco and San Jose have actually been depreciating a small amount, but depreciating over the last uh, six to 12 months. Now, the only thing that's keeping these markets, you know, propped up right now, the main thing is low interest rates. It keeps that affordability for the people who have high incomes in the area capable of buying in those markets and keeping that market propped up. But, you know, with COVID right now, a lot of people are moving out of the, you know, the city cores and the inner city and the densely populated areas. And the trend right now is to move out to the suburbs. So people are moving out to the suburbs and that's causing a rush and a boom, in suburban markets and it's actually creating less demand in the core city cores like San Francisco, Manhattan, you know, New York, like the big cities, Chicago and property values are coming down. So, you need to pick your market based on those fundamentals as well as the ability for it to cash flow and produce rates of return. And I named, you know, the general regions where you will find them. There's over 500 markets, so there's lots to choose from. Don't think that you are stuck in your own local market. And the gurus told you that you have to invest within a two-hour radius of your home because that's
1: misguided advice. Yeah. This de-urbanization trend we're seeing, Marco, is something I find really fascinating. I think that either an investor or their resident will at one point very soon find themselves having the ability to either live in a different place, a different city, or even a different state. So that would lead one to being a long distance, possibly out of state real estate investor.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just accelerating. COVID, you know, COVID has just accelerated what was already happening. You know, some people were already, well, I shouldn't say some, probably many. Many people were moving out to the suburbs, but now it's been accelerated because people are realizing that they don't have to go to the office. They can stay home and work. So, you know, the home has become really the hub of their life. So now they live at home, they eat at home, they work from home. And now a lot of people can become more nomadic. They can travel or work from wherever, you know, as long as they've got internet access, a phone, and you know, Zoom. So it's got it's given people flexibility to move around and move to places that they were thinking about moving to, but now it's decided, yeah, you know, we can move to that cottage, you know, on the lake or wherever it may be, right? But yeah, the trend has just been accelerated, and the suburbs are seeing the um, positive impact of that. The urban core is seeing a negative impact. From all of that, it's gonna shift prices. And on top of that, we've got a lot of millennials that are living at home that have been for a long time and they're getting to an age where they want to move out. And COVID is just helping to push that along because now they're getting tired of being at home when their parents are at home the whole time. And so, you know, these 20-some year olds and you know, late teens, but mostly 20-some year olds are being pushed to the point where they're gonna start looking for homes soon, like starter homes or maybe even rentals. And that further increases the demand on the housing supply, and that pushes household formation demand, you know, through the roof. And that's what we're seeing. We probably need about 2 million household units a year. We're only producing last, I mean, it depends what number you look at, but we're probably only producing about 1.25 million new household units a year. That's a huge shortfall of three quarter of a million household units per year right now.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that supply, demand, and balance, Marco. For a long time, it seems our country has been undersupplied with housing, both single family, multifamily, and that is keeping up that demand, right? So people think in a time like we're living in today, October of 2020, in a COVID era, that they're expecting prices to fall, but we're seeing prices are continuing to rise, they're staying fairly steady. What are you seeing across the market? Does that tend to be true in most of the markets you're investing in?
2: Well, in general terms, yeah, markets are still appreciating because of that strong demand and intense shortage of housing. But that's generally speaking. In the markets that we operate in, the, the upward pressure is just as strong, if, if not stronger, uh, compared to a national basis. So tight supply, strong demand is going to continue to push markets up. Now, there's no such thing as a national housing market. I, I, we talked about that, I believe, on the last right. episode yeah. we did together. But when you look at when you kind of throw all the markets into one big, you know, melting pot and call it a country overall, you know, we're going to see on average, and I don't like, you know, using these numbers, but on average, we're still probably going to see an appreciation rate of four to 5% over the next 12 months, you know, across the board. And that includes depreciating markets. But if you look at, you know, markets that are really uh, strong right now, like Florida, the South, the Southeast, and you know a few other of the markets that we're in right now, we're already seeing you know annualized seven to eight percent per year appreciation rates, and in some cases we're expecting double digit appreciation rates. The new construction that we have been offering investors has been experiencing that. It's just incredible to see you know the turnaround because investor demand is so strong that they're gobbling the stuff up. But as soon as those properties are built. There are tenants essentially lined up, ready to move in, because the property management companies are still and constantly looking for supply to move these people into. So it's a great time to be a real estate investor. You've got everything stacked up in your favor: historically low interest rates, uh, strong demand, low supply. You know we're still becoming a renter nation. So you know I see no reason not to be investing in real estate right now.
1: Marco, I'm sure you get this question a lot and that question is is now a good time to invest in times like maybe say 2 to 3 years ago when things were even hotter than they are now or where there was not as many concerns about the market, people are thinking, well, I'm going to wait for the next downturn and then I'll enter and become a real estate investor. Now you have times like this where there's a little uncertainty in the market with COVID and, you know, eviction moratoriums and mortgage forbearances. People are thinking, well, I want to wait and wait this out and then I'll get in the market, right? So to answer that question, it sounds like your answer to should I invest now, is now a good time to invest, is yes.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to be smart about it. You need to be intelligent and prudent, make the right decisions, choose the right markets, clearly choose the, the right neighborhoods, you know, good neighborhoods where the demographics of your tenants are, you know, what you want, you know, defined by however you want that to be. But for me, it's, you know, typically you know, blue collar, upper blue collar, working class neighborhoods. Sometimes they're, you know, white collar neighborhoods. It depends on what I'm looking for. But if you invest intelligently, you can do very well right now, especially with low interest rates and the fact that demand is so strong. So again, I see no reason not to be investing in real estate. Plus, you know, that it's the most tax favored investment in the country right now. It used to be oil and gas, but because of the CARES Act of 20, was it the CARES Act in 2017? Uh, Jobs Act, uh, tax uh,
1: Jobs Act, right?
2: It was a Jobs Act.
1: Yes, yeah,
2: yeah. 2017. It was. I know it was 2017. So you know, because of bonus depreciation, you know, real estate has become the most tax favored asset class in the country. And so I see many reasons to be investing in real estate. Here's the other thing too, which you didn't ask me, but I'm gonna. Maybe it's one of your questions, but I'm just gonna lead into it, or I'll tee it up for you. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) The the thing is, is you know, these people who are saying, "Well, wait for the next crash." you're going to be waiting a long time. You're going to miss the boat. If you don't get on the gravy train and the equity train today, you're going to miss out on six to 12 months of waiting time, waiting for a crash to come along that won't come along. The dynamics that we have going on today are different than what happened in 2008. Back in 2008, we had a lot of people qualifying for mortgages that couldn't qualify and couldn't afford the mortgages. And it created a glut of inventory. When those mortgages reset or were recast, and interest rates went up, and people, you know, couldn't afford them, so there was, and then the economy started to suffer, and so people were losing jobs, and so you had millions of units come onto the market. That's not the case today. Today we have a very tight, and have had very tight qualification criteria for many, many, many years. In fact, since 2010, and so the people who are getting mortgage loans today are legitimately qualified to carry those mortgages, and so we're not going to have a credit problem or a default problem because people can't afford the homes. Second, we have this strong demand. Third, we have what we'll call shadow demand, not so much shadow inventory. Shadow demand, meaning all these people who have been waiting to buy, the millennials that have been waiting at home to move out, and now with people moving out of the urban core, more people moving out to the suburbs, this is a three-front demand, a three-front assault on demand that is going to push you know the real estate market forward, not backwards.
1: Interesting. I've heard people talk about a shadow supply out there, right? With the recent CARES Act and the extensions of mortgage forbearance and eviction moratoriums, right? So people are no longer allowed to be evicted if they've got COVID hardships, kind of same thing with mortgages, right? So there's this idea that there's a lot of pent up Shadow supply waiting to come on the market after those forbearance and uh, but there isn't. There,
2: there's no supply. That's the problem. It is all of our builders and all our property providers are struggling to provide us inventory, let alone get their own inventory. Just yesterday, as an example, we had one of our providers in Pennsylvania send my team of six investment counselors uh, fifteen available properties, just newly available. They just announced it yesterday. They were all scooped up in 30 minutes. Wow. So those were just our investor buyers waiting for inventory, you know, the next batch of inventory for the people that were looking for that market. And so the moment it came along, you know, we just emailed our investor clients saying, hey, here's what we've got. They're available right now. And all 30 of them were taken like under contract in 30 minutes. Yeah, all 15 of them in 30 minutes.
1: Wow. Yeah. So there is certainly that demand there. You bring up an interesting point of those millennials ready to kind of move out on their own and either be first time home buyers or move out of their parents' house or whatever that looks like. So that's an interesting uh, kind of demographic that I haven't really thought of myself as that shadow demand.
2: Yeah. 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 It's kind of a newer concept. I think it really just came about this year. So it's not many people are talking about it, but all you have to do is lift the hood up and look under and see what's going on. And you can see that there are markets that are experiencing tremendous growth because, well, here's another dynamic that's been going on is a lot of people are moving out of these expensive markets. Like if you look at Northern California, if you look at the Northeast, upper Northeast, mm-hmm. those are the two hot spots, if you will, where people are moving out and moving away, moving South, they're moving up to Idaho, they're moving to Texas, they're moving to some degree to the Midwest, certainly to the South and the Southeast, right? They're getting away out of these not only expensive places, but colder climates. And they're moving <laughs> South for the weather and the improvement in lifestyle and the cheaper real estate prices and the affordability.
1: Marco, is there any scenario once you see a housing crisis in the next, say, 12, 24, 36 months? Any kind of thing that you could pinpoint and say, well, if this happens, then yeah, we could see a housing correction.
2: I would say the fortunately, real estate is a slow-moving asset class. When things change, you start to see it from far away. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not, it doesn't whipsaw like the stock market, it doesn't have that kind of volatility. But two of the biggest things that would certainly affect, you know, the real estate market. And when I say real estate market, I'm certainly talking about local real estate markets, but we can look at it globally across the nation, would be two things. One would be A sudden or large rise in interest rates, mortgage interest rates. I don't see that in the foreseeable future. It's just not baked into the cake at this point in time. That would certainly affect affordability and that will have a direct impact on housing. The other thing is uh, leftist government politicians and bureaucrats that want to essentially take away some, many, or all of the tax benefits of investing, particularly with real estate. So, if you start to fool around with a 1031 exchange or roll back the bonus depreciation or change capital gains tax rates and make real estate investing less favorable, then you're going to lose. You're going to start losing investors and people who are coming into the market. The demand will still be there, it'll still be a good investment but it will change how attractive it is to some people. So it comes down to interest rates and taxes in my opinion.
1: Yeah, interesting points. You hear some people talk about those tax benefits as quote unquote tax loopholes. Now our good pal Tom Wilright, you know, he talks about the tax code is just a series of incentives to, you know, incentivize people to do what the government needs them to do, right? And in this instance it is build and maintain housing for the general public.
2: Yeah, and Tom's exactly right. I mean, the government can't do most things well. You know, <laughs> they really should be just focused on the national defense and, you know, keeping the states in order and overseeing states and let states regulate, you know, policy and economics and free trade and all that stuff. But when have you ever seen the federal government build a real estate project and be successful at it? The answer is probably never. It's never happened. So they rely on you and I as you know citizens individuals and investors to come in and build you know clean safe affordable housing for people because they can't do it it's not their expertise and they'll screw it up each and every time so in order to incentivize you and i to do it they have to provide incentives through the tax code for us to do that so they have to make it attractive enough for us to take that risk and put the capital up in order to venture out and build new houses or refurbish, you know, old dilapidated housing to provide the housing stock that the country needs because the federal government needs it. It's a tax base for them. It's a tax base for the state. It's a tax base for the city. But, you know, if they can't produce the housing stock that we need to create that tax base and provide housing for the, you know, the population, the, you know, the public, then we're screwed as a country. So a loophole, look, I read somewhere that, you know, people were very, you know, I, I'm very careful to say liberal because it's not exactly true, but very leftist. People who are very progressive and leftist look at, at these tax incentives as loopholes, whereas right. people who are conservative, our entrepreneurs, our business people, are investors. Those are not loopholes at all. They're, they're really just tax incentives that are specifically defined in black and white in the tax code that tell you exactly what you need to do and what the benefit is. And that's how the government essentially shapes the economies. They use the tax code to incentivize people to become business people and entrepreneurs and investors, as opposed to being all employees.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Marco, a lot of the peer group I hang around are young professionals. And I often get the question of, you know, hey, I want to live in this cool market, the, the Houston, the Austin, the Nashville, or whatever that is, right? But I can't afford to buy there. I really advocate for live where you want, invest where the numbers make sense. Your model of turnkey investing across the country really lends itself well to that philosophy. So talk about how one could make that method work if they're looking to you know, become a first-time investor or expand their portfolio in a market in which they don't live.
2: Yeah. So I think it was over 10 years ago that I actually trademarked the saying, live where you want, invest where it makes sense.
1: Uh-oh. Do I owe you for saying that now? No, no, not at all. Not at all. It's,
2: it's been, it's been begged, borrowed and, and, and modified a few times, <laughs> but the premise is the point of it is very clear. You can live wherever you want to live, you know, provided, you know, you can afford to live there and that's what you and your family want, you know, live wherever you want live, you can live in North Korea or you could live in Houston or you could live in wherever you want. I don't care. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be investing, you got to put your money to work and invest intelligently. And in order to do that, you have to take the filters and lenses off your eyes and look at things from a big picture perspective and realize that the United States is made up of over 400 metropolitan statistical areas. Not all of them are good places to invest. That's just the facts. But many of them are great places to invest because the properties will cash flow. There's strong demand. There's jobs. There's job growth. There's population growth you know, there's a broad, diverse economy, meaning that there's all kinds of industry within that local economy. When you have those things in play, those are the markets you should be looking at. Then focus on the neighborhoods that, you know, make the most sense, that attract the tenant demographic that you want. There's no rocket science here. It's really simple. It's just, you got to take the shackle off your ankle and think that you need to be tethered to your local market because that's not the case.
1: We talk about in looking at markets from that fifty thousand foot view. Let's kind of go down a little closer. Let's say thirty thousand foot view. What are you looking in certain markets? Is it you know increase in jobs, population? What kind of metrics are you looking at there? Well, yeah, it's exactly.
2: It's from a macro perspective. It's ideal to see uh, population growth, and that usually a big part of that comes from job growth. If there's job growth, people move into the area because. You know, there's new employment, good employment. Sometimes it's competitive. So, you know, the wages or salaries are higher than the markets that they're coming from. So at the heart of it is really uh, jobs and job growth, because that job growth will help drive population growth. Population growth also comes from just organic population growth, meaning families having kids, you know, so, you know, populations grow dynamic or organically that way. Those are the key things I look at. Beyond that, everything else is kind of secondary because you can't really start to measure things like uh, crime, you know, or walkability or anything like that at a city or metro area level. For that, you really need to become hyper local. You need to start getting down to literally neighborhoods. Even zip codes are, are too big. You have to get down to zip to neighborhoods and in some cases even, you know, street by street. But generally speaking, the neighborhood will tell you everything you need at that point.
1: So, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. No, that's good. Yeah. Now, that can kind of sound intimidating for someone evaluating a new market. Let's just take, I don't know, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, for example, right? If I've never been to Nashville, I don't know what side of town is good. I don't know what kind of parts of town are great, you know? So, how do you start kind of from scratch looking at a market? How do you kind of niche down to that ideal neighborhood?
2: Well, you need a team. First of all, I'll say that there's a ton of information online. There's so many websites that you can go to and start to gather information about, you know, cities, markets, cities, and neighborhoods. There's all kinds of tools. Some of them are subscription services. Others are, you know, just free information. But, you know, if you do, if you search for it, you'll find it. It's, there's a lot of it out there. Secondly is ultimately at some point, you're going to need to put a team together. And you know, this is the problem that we solve as a company is we provide you the entire team, anything and everything you need, all the resources, not just the education and knowledge, but all the resources and the property. So we've kind of covered the gamut, but if you're doing it on your own or from scratch, as you said, you need to find your acquisitions person or your acquisitions team. So, you know, those are the people who are going to be helping you find the deals and bring the deals to you. And then you need your lender or lenders, people providing the mortgage financing, then you're going to need. Uh, property management company, you know, full service local management company. You're going to need an asset protection attorney and you're going to need a tax advisor. Those are, I call that the core five. That's your five, you know, your core five team players. Uh, you're going to have other people as well that are going to be in and out transactionally, but that's what you need.
1: Yeah, I think it all starts with that boots on the ground team, right? If you don't have somebody there locally to help give you that kind of market knowledge, then you really are flying blind. I think that property manager is probably the most vital key member. What do you think?
2: Well, that and your acquisitions person, those two people, people slash companies are going to be able to advise you to say, Hey, you know, stay on this side of the tracks, not on that side of the tracks. Right. (laughs) You know, these are areas of the city you want to be in. These are the areas you want to avoid, you know, because they'll know what you can find online anyway. You know, they'll know where the city's growing and where demand is strongest, you know, where the best opportunities are. So they're going to know. You can find it on your own, but you can ask them and in 5 minutes you'll know.
1: Sure. So Marco, in kind of today's environment with the live and work from home model where your office is your home and your home is your office, it only strengthens the kind of case for residential investing, but there's kind of a there's an option you need to invest in either single family, multifamily, etc. You've chosen single family. Why is that?
2: Well, Single family is probably my favorite. Now, I like everything from single family to fourplexes. So one, two, three, and four unit properties are considered residential real estate in the eyes of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So the most favorable financing available out there is available to one to four unit properties. So four plexes on down, anything above that is considered a commercial property, even though it might be residential, like a 500 unit apartment building, it's all residential, but it's all commercial financing. I like single family for many reasons. One, it's a basic housing unit. It's the most fundamental housing unit. Two, most people aspire to live in a single family home, you know, where they have complete privacy, four private walls, no shared walls, you know, their own yard, you know, front yard, backyard, side yard. It's kind of a most prized, if you will, type of housing stock. No, You know, people typically, you know, transition from, you know, apartments or townhomes to maybe a unit in a fourplex and then ultimately to a single-family home. They don't usually go the other way around. Yeah, right. Also, single-family homes are the most abundant housing stock in the country. The the majority of properties, residential properties in the country, are single-family homes. So they're very easy to understand. There's no training or education involved with anybody when it comes to single-family homes. They're, They're easy to buy, easy to sell, easy to fix, easy to flip. They're the easiest to lease, in my opinion. And the thing is, is, you know, real estate as an asset class is not that liquid, but in terms within the context of real estate, single family homes are going to be the most liquid because you have the largest buying audience. It's not just investors who are buying single family homes. Most of the people who buy single family homes are actually people who want to be homeowners that want to live in the property. And so people looking on the MLS are looking for single family homes. And most of those people are homeowners or want to be homeowners. So those are some of the reasons I like single family they're easy to finance, they're easy to appraise, they're easy to fix up, they're easy to manage. Even if you self-manage, even if you don't use a professional property manager, you know, they're very easy to self-manage. So, um, there's a lot of reasons to like single family.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. If someone was interested in kind of this turnkey model Marco and wanted to learn more or, you know, explore investment opportunities or look at new markets, I know you've got a ton of great information and resources at Norada. Can you tell us about what they could find if they checked that out?
2: Yeah, I mean, so
1: we post a lot. We have hundreds
2: of articles on our website, on our blog, and uh, they're constantly being updated. You know, every week we update it. We do a lot of market spotlights. In fact, the last two years, we've been doing a lot of market spotlights. So we'll pick a market and do a deep dive into it. So all that's on our website. You know, we have our weekly podcast, uh, the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. And uh, although that has a separate website, the two websites link to each other. Right. Uh, so that's another free resource. We have downloadable guides our most popular guide is called the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing. And that's been downloaded over 20,000 times. You know, that's a very powerful resource because it's really a primer on investing.
1: It's everything we talked about. It's a primer on all of that. I remember downloading that myself early on in my investing career. Yeah, it's a great resource.
2: Yeah, cool. Well, I appreciate that. So, you know, that's what people will find. And of course, properties, they're going to find properties. Now, you know, one thing I will say is this, There may be anywhere from, you know, 30 to 60, 70 properties on our website, but those are actually live properties and and available for purchase. But the majority of the properties are actually not on the website because of the rapid turnover that I was telling you about before. Sometimes we'll get properties. In fact, often we'll get properties that we don't have time to put up on the website because they're typically going under contract, you know, within a day or two. So the best thing to do if you are looking for a, a property is actually talk to one of my investment counselors because they're going to have a direct line to you and just say, hey, here's what's available today, tomorrow. But people still browse online. They still go to the website, browse and shop and literally buy you know properties through us so that they find on the website. It's just that some of them don't make it there.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Marco, since we last talked, you and the team at Nerada Real Estate have been named the Inc 5000 fastest growing private companies in America. Congrats on that. You guys are obviously doing something right. So, yeah, kudos to you guys there.
2: Thanks, Jacob. I appreciate it. It was cool. a wild ride. <laughs> you know, sure. So, some, some people think, you know, it's an overnight success, but they don't realize that I started the company in 2004, so it's like 17 years in the making, 16 years in the making, right?
1: Yeah, I know for sure. And you said you've been doing the podcast for about five years now, right?
2: Twenty fifteen. So what is that? It's yeah. uh just over five years. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's pretty long in the podcast world. Such a great resource there. We'll link that in the show notes for audience members to check out. That's the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast, Narada Real Estate, of course. We'll link that. Marco, hey, we usually wrap up with lightning round. You've already been through it, so we'll kind of fire something else at you. But is there any kind of resources or Kind of learning materials or recommendations outside of Narada that you could point listeners to if they wanted to learn more about just kind of this turnkey model and out of state investing and all that good stuff.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, there's tons of available resources out there. Of course, you know, keep listening to your podcast because you're putting out good content. So, you know, that's free education. There you go. (laughs) So there are literally over a million podcasts out there we passed the million mark actually in last February. So the fact that you and I are still doing podcasting is, you know, it's amazing because there's so much out there, but the reality is, is a lot of it is not that good.
1: <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs> yeah. So stick to listening to podcasts that have, you know, good content, good material is objective and provides you something real books. People overlook books all the time. It's, They are the cheapest form of great information and education, 10 to 20 bucks a book. That's nothing. That's like, you know, three Starbucks coffees, right? So, and now you can carry it in your pocket, you know, with eBooks, you just shove it on your phone and carry it around. You can just read it, you know, wherever you are, you know, when you're waiting in line somewhere or whatever you're doing, you know, there's no reason not to educate yourself, but but just download books, eBooks, order the paperback from Amazon. But, you know, educate yourself in different subject matters, you know, not just real estate, but, you know, finance, economics, history, you know, like round out your education. So yeah, it's out there. I mean, even the internet, tons of good information. You have to be very careful. There's a lot of misinformation out there too, but.
1: Sure. Yeah. Completely agree with you, Marco. If you read enough, you'll figure it out. (laughs) Definitely. So Marco, hey, if people want to go to Narada Real Estate, what's the best, most actionable thing they can do to kind of start this journey?
2: just go to our website. I mean, they can contact my team and access all the resources for free right there. You know, we don't even charge for our services. So virtually everything's free. But Norada noradarealestate.com, N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com is our mothership. The sister website is the podcast website, passiverealestateinvesting.com. And they both link to each other, but those are the best free resources to start with.
1: Awesome. Marco Santarelli. thanks so much for coming on the show. Look forward to having you back on in the future for a third time. Thank you, Jacob. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Marco Santarelli. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that podcast. I love talking with Marco, so it was great catching up with him. If you're interested in any of those resources we mentioned, or if you're interested in turnkey real estate investing, I suggest you reach out to Marco and his team at noradarealestate.com. All of those resources, all of the websites, everything we talked about in today's show are linked, as always, in the show notes. Well, hey, until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want